Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conversation of Our Generation. My name is Nick Jamel, and I'm the host of the podcast here, Creative Conversation of Our Generation. And today we'll be looking into the problems with the police and with the riots and some solutions that I think could make a big difference as we try to move past this craziness and move past this violence and to really find a way forward in all this. And so I really want to dive into some of the things that I've seen happening and just really have a way, find a way to create an open conversation about what needs to happen so that we can stop being just angry about what happened and start to find ways to prevent it from happening in the future. Because that would be what my thought is the goal of the protests. And I don't think anyone is, and and the riots as well, I think are not, that's not their goal. I think that the protests have the goal of fixing things. I think the riots have some other intentions. And so we'll talk about the differences there as well and walk through all of this complicated situation as best I can with the available information. And so I ask that you just hop along for the ride. I think this could be a lot packed into this episode, so I think it should be pretty good. Uh, So if you are looking for other places you can find me, you can go to conversationofourgeneration.com. If you're already listening on the website, go over to conversationofourgeneration.com slash podcast, and you can find where you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. And then you can also go to Twitter at conofourgen or facebook.com slash conversation of our generation to find me there as well. You can also search on Minds. I've been trying to get more active on there again. So conversation of our generation uh, is my handle there too. So definitely check that out as well. And let's go ahead then and hop into the quote of the week. <clears throat> And so, this one comes from John Locke, and he says, The end of law is not to abolish or restrain, but to preserve and enlarge freedom. For in all the states of created beings capable of law, where there is no law, there is no freedom. And I think this is an important thing to remember right now, that there is a set of law, whether it's just the moral law or the actual law that restrains us and channels our efforts towards actually creating more freedom and liberty in our lives. And I think it's important for us to recognize that, that it is the proper, the restraint in proper areas that allows for maximum freedom. It is by, I I think I've talked about this in the past on the podcast, but It's by financial restraint that you are able to retire in luxury. It's by, you know, all sorts. It is by restraining your lust or your sexual appetites that you're able to enter into a good marriage, right? You forego all the other people to, you know, have a real lasting relationship with someone that's much richer than what you could get out of just sex. If you are foregoing the good thing of food in some way to lose weight, you know, that's going to give you more freedom. You're going to be healthier and able to do more and not be a slave to your appetites. And so right now there needs to be some sort of reinstitution of 
law. And people know where I come from on the very libertarian side, and what I'm seeing shows that we need something, because for all the people saying it's the same as the Tea Party, go back and look at what happened in the Tea Party, because they really didn't destroy any property except for that of the East India Company. So those ships were carrying stuff that was from the East India Company, which was basically a British and Dutch, I, I forget which one it is, because uh, there's, I, I think it's the Dutch, but they were maybe chartered out of England as well, but it was a company that was basically state chartered, that was basically a state monopoly, so it was, you know, like, basically like looting the IRS, or some other, or like Medicare, you know, and getting rid of Medicare stuff because of something, it was, it was an action against government, they didn't actually hurt anything except for one padlock that they used to get onto the ship and they replaced it anonymously with the ship owner. So for those of you saying that that's the case, that's, they didn't destroy private property in the name of it. And also Jesus did not, you know, uh, go and riot to make a point. Although I did see a great one that someone said that he was actually just kicking all those people out of his house. So really he's standing on the side of the people Standing in front of their storefronts, you know, defending the honor of, you know, their store or defending their store. But it's, uh, it's, it's definitely a confusing time. And I think that we need to parse through all the details in some way to understand what needs to happen. But I do know in a large way, we need to get these riots under control. We need to allow for there to be a real discussion that actually leads to something productive and find some solutions that would prevent these sorts of things from happening. And if they do happen again, find a way to actually get real justice each time that it happens. I think that that is a solution that everyone could be on board with is drastic because it's also an imperfect world. Anyone who says that they never want this to happen again is it's tough, you know, because it, we do ha live in a place where People are sinful. People do the wrong thing and it's broken. But what we can do is rectify wrongs with justice. And I think that if justice were served in every case where this happened across the country, you wouldn't see this sort of anger. I think that this anger is at the fact that there are media people conflating uh, really bad kill, you know, really bad situation that actually the person deserves a murder charge with one where it was a questionable situation and the fact that it was a hung jury says that he was acquitted by a jury of his peers and so, you know, you can't go based on the conviction, you have to go based on the, whether or not they're brought up on charges, whether or not they're prosecute, whether or not all of those things. And so that's where the, that's where the law really lies because the law doesn't just lie in convicting people willy nilly. You have to have sufficient evidence and everything. So with that, let's go ahead and hop in. And I just want to clarify up front for those of you who listen, you would know, but others may not that I have no love lost for the authorities. I lean very libertarian. I think that the cops enforce Tons of unjust laws that our institutions of law, of law enforcement, have been corrupted beyond 
potentially be on repair, full repair. But I th- I mean, I think that half of them shouldn't even exist, including the ATF and the FBI. I think that they don't deserve my respect in many cases, and they definitely do not deserve the benefit of the doubt in any, whenever something goes wrong. And so when I saw what happened with George Floyd, I was outraged, and I hope that these guys would be fired, not just put on a suspension, paid leave or whatever, and that they would be brought up on charges. And both of those things have happened. Uh, I think that when this ha- happens, there needs to be real repercussions for the cops who do this every single time. And that anyone who disagrees with that is wrong <laughs> and needs to reconsider their position. I think that we should also not allow this sort of violent response to stand. I think we need to push back against the violent and hateful tactics that are going on and try to negotiate some real solution. I don't think that looting your local neighborhood does anything to solve a problem, and it actually does a lot to make it worse. And I think we need to find ways to express these ideas peacefully, have a dialogue, and that's why today I want to talk about these to the problems with both sides of this and find a way to get to some real solutions. <clears throat> so here's what I see with the police that's going wrong. First, the police are enfor- enforcing unjust laws. When you have law enforcement enforcing injustice, then it's corrupted automatically. If you're and, and for those who say, hey, they're just doing their job, look at the cops during some of the, what's it called, the, the lockdown stuff, who were letting people go about their business, not arresting people or citing people for being in a park and whatever. And the guys who were arresting people for being in a park, a soccer mom for being in a park with her kid. <clears throat> That's obviously unjust, and that obviously should not be enforced. And any sane person who enfor- who does, any person who enforces that law is immediately stripped of any credibility when they say that they are trying to uphold law and order. Because everyone knows that an unjust law is nullified immediately. And an unconstitutional law especially, which there are a lot there, in our system, unconstitutional laws are nullified, and there are plenty of those around as well. So, I think that that is the first thing that revamping our law code and finding a way to get it to where the cops have some means of standing up against unjust laws and that they can't get fired for not enforcing incredibly unjust laws. I think that that would be a good start. I think that the police are using bad tactics to restrain people. I don't know how to go about doing that in a good way when there are violent people actually who need to be restrained or people who are you know, pushing back. Obviously, there's a need for them to protect themselves because they are doing something that puts themselves in a place where they can be hurt. <clears throat> I don't know exactly what that looks like. I think that we could talk to people in jujitsu and martial arts and show how to do it without 
you know, knocking people out or killing people. And I think that there are obviously a lot of martial artists who can show a lot of different ways to restrain people pretty well. Police uh, are using too much force due to incompetence or poor training. And that's one where I think when you see... I mean, these guys have to be, at least in somewhat good shape, have to be able to do this without actually hurting people as much as possible. And and I also see this, this also goes in with the cops who kind of get their cheap shots in, right? They have, they finally get someone kind of restrained and then they like give them a gut punch or punch in the ribs or something like that. I've seen that happen a lot or like a you know, some sort of kick in the ribs while they're standing up, whatever it is, they do those things all the time, a lot. And they need to never do that when someone's already restrained too, that there's a retaliation. And I guess I kind of understand the impulse, but that can't be happening. They need to be better than that. The justice system covers for cops all the time. I mean, we saw it, they covered for former cops like they did in Georgia. They weren't going to prosecute that guy when they had video of an obvious, obvious, basically kidnapping because it was not a legitimate citizen's arrest based on what the prosecutor said. I read their documents and then killed somebody. That's felony kidnapping and, well, I don't know if it's felony kidnapping, but it's kidnapping and a murder. (laughs) or at least manslaughter at the very least. Um, And so I would say that is just another evidence, but it happens all the time where cops are basically backed up by the prosecutors that they work with all the time, basically helped out by a judge that they know because they work with them all the time and they get off because they don't, because they just have the right connections. And so I think that, that that's something that we need to really take a serious look at and fix ASAP. Uh, lack of discipline for police due to unions. And so this is another one that <clears throat> even if they don't make it to the court system for some of the things that are lesser in some way, right? It's not an assault or battery. It's just bad practice, right? Profiling complaints about things like that, those kinds of things get covered up due to the unions and public sector unions have no right to exist. So they should be abolished and they should not have a police union to protect them. I think that would make them a little bit more on edge about everything, but police have no right to unionize at all, ever, unless it's a private police force. If you are employed by the government, you have no right to unionize because you have no right to unionize against your fellow citizens. (laughs) And that's basically, I mean, that's not how it works. That's extortion. They're the mafia is what they are at that point. Right. So that is something that needs to go away and it'd be a lot easier to strip them of benefits of pensions of all these other things. If the unions weren't there protecting them. And then, uh, there are just bad discussions at hand about people, actual problems that, I guess, bad discussions about the actual problems at hand with people just talking past each other, right? I think that there's a lot of times where 
people who, you know, black people will say, you don't understand my experience as a black person, so on and so forth. And then white people will just give statistics and all of those things. And, and I recognize the fact that those two conversations are just two different conversations. We need to say from a policy perspective, here's what's happening in a statistical realm. Here's how we can lower these numbers because each time you, if you take it down from 500 people a year, this happens to, to 400 or 100 people a year, that's hundreds of lives that you save, right? And that's what we need to be looking at and looking at the statistics and all that stuff there. When you're talking to an individual person, I think it is good to empathize with the fear that they have if they have it on a daily basis and and recognize that and tell them that they're not crazy for it because there is definitely something different even if there's statistics that don't fully bear out everything. There is conflict there in some way and and it's not quantifiable necessarily. It's something that is qualitative and that's, and it's a little bit subjective. And I think that we need to ease those subjective fears in some way that, that we need to find a way to address that subjective experience and bring more and more people into the mainstream. I mean, there have been other ethnic groups throughout American history who have had a similar issue. I mean, Italians and Irish, I mean, all sorts of different immigrant groups have had similar run-ins and conflicts with police. And so I think it's important to recognize that there have been people who are groups in America that have been profiled in similar ways, not necessarily the exact same, but similar ways that have changed their image with the police. And so we have the ability to do it. We just need to look at what's going on with people. Where are those subjective experiences coming from and say, how can we address that with policy, with even just, you know, understanding people. I don't know what it, what it will take, but it will take real conversations with people. And then I think it's time to move on now to what's going wrong with the riots. <laughs> and <clears throat> I think the first and foremost one here is that I see the rioters attacking the very people that they are purporting to support and defend. They're going against their own neighbors. They're attacking store owners who black store owners, white store owners, doesn't matter. In my book, it's still destroying someone's livelihood. There's people who are dying. I mean, in Indianapolis, we had, I can't remember if it's two or three people now die. Totally. I mean, one was like a community organizer went to the, what, he's older than me, but went to the same high school I went to, played football at IU, was really active in the community. And I mean, I can see the impact just based on looking at, I didn't know him before this happened actually, but seeing people's posts and what he meant to people on Facebook and Twitter and everything else, 
it's a real loss. And he <laughs> was not someone who was violently rioting. He was, I'm sure, someone who was peacefully protesting something that he saw as an injustice and wanting to stand up against it. And so it's tough to see how killing a good community organizer is a useful way to create actual change. I don't get it. I don't think it makes sense. I think that hatred does not solve hatred. It actually multiplies it. And so when people are angry and go out and protest and say, I want this to change because I want to be on an equal footing with you, I think America accepts that. When people go out and loot and riot and destroy other people's property seemingly aimlessly, I don't think that people are going to be, you're going to drive people away from your side and make people angry and hateful towards you. I mean, I was listening to stuff Tuesday of last week on podcasts and looking on Twitter and everywhere you looked, it was, there needs to be justice served here. This guy, this cop needs to be brought up on charges, right, left, center. It didn't matter. Everyone said this cop needs to be brought up on charges. Now you have all sorts of different people saying all sorts of different things. And now we're not talking about the fact that this cop is, has been charged that an independent medical examiner showed it was asphyxia that he could get murder charges now. And all these people are going crazy about all this stuff and distracting from the fact that there's still work to do on the ground for this man who was unjustly killed. And so, and you're pushing some people away. I'm not going to be pushed away from the actual justice that needs to happen here by rioters. But it makes it really hard to know who to talk to, who to work with for people who want to find a way to do that. I think peaceful people are having their voices and their protests hijacked by radicals. And I think that the radicals don't actually care about the core issue of police violence. They care about being violent radicals. We know that Antifa has hijacked these in some places that they've stirred it up and turned them violent and all sorts of things. And that's not going to play well. It's just, it's just not, it's not going to go well because when a peaceful protest all of a sudden breaks out into a riot for, you know, a square mile or something like that, it just changes the way people look at the movement. It's definitely not, it's definitely not what you want. It's not the image you want. You have to play to images a little bit when you're trying to start a movement. And when you have this going on, it's definitely not going to lead in the right direction. So I think that there needs to be discipline in some respects on the protesters and it's tough to say <laughs> when someone's obviously hurting and wanting to change these things but giving into that or letting these people into 
the protests, and I've seen a lot of protesters pushing them out and, you know, calling them out. I saw a guy, this couple white kids spray painting something, and uh, I think it was, they said it was a USC fighter came over and was like, all right, give me the cans, and took them from them and walked away so that they couldn't keep destroying property. And I think that those are the kinds of things that you need to see to really cleanse that out and make and ensure that this remains a good and peaceful movement. I mean, just look at what really happened in the civil rights movement. It was a drawn out but peaceful movement that really made serious institutional change across the country. And for anyone who says that there's work left to do, sure, there are definitely people, individuals, some systems that can be rigged, not rigged, but some systems that could be fixed. I think that policing and the way that they interact with the black community is a good one to fix. I think that most of the serious racism is a racism of low expectation that the welfare system pushes forward and promotes. And that's where most of the systemic racism is. I think that there's plenty of racism that could be rooted out, but I think that we've really made it hard to be racist in today's world, much, much harder. And I think that's a good thing. And so I think that the last thing here is that anger is not being directed at the problem. And St. Thomas Aquinas will say that anger can be a good motivator to correct injustice. And anger at injustice is a valid response. But you have to channel it in the right way. It, it needs to be brought down to an ember, a burning ember, not a wildfire that you can't control. It needs to be harnessed and fuel action, right action, prudent action, just action in favor of rectifying a wrong. That's where it needs to be channeled towards. And so with that, I want to talk about a few points of improvement that I could see. And I think I've kind of touched on some of these throughout this, but I want to hammer these home here because the whole point of this discussion is to hopefully fix some things in the end, right? And make some progress towards better cop-black relations and prevention of cops killing people when they, especially when it's not in self-defense, obviously, but really when they're killing innocent people. And so I think first and foremost, punish cops immediately for excessive force and punish them fully. Don't make the mob call it out. You shouldn't have to wait till the mob calls it out. I mean, like, if that cop was another random person who did that to another random person and they had that video, they would say, we need to arrest this person. We can, we have, we have enough cause here to go arrest this person and do it right now. That's how it would go. It would be, and and I wouldn't be mad about that. If someone obviously restrained someone and knelt on the back of their head until they, or the back of their neck until they died, anyone would say, yep, you at least are guilty of manslaughter here. 
we're going to bring in and we're going to assess the rest of the case and get, but you are being brought up on charges. And so punish the cops immediately. If it's excessive force, punish them by firing them, not putting them on leave. If it's clear cut, um, if you need to put them on leave, it's unpaid leave until you can fire them and then remove their pension. If it's proven that they violated some policy or hurt an innocent person. And then after that, you bring up charges, manslaughter, assault charges, whatever it is. And they go in to the regular justice system at that point. Don't make us call it out each time. Don't make people get into a mob on Twitter in order for you to finally decide to exact justice. Get rid of police unions and make it easy to fire and bring charges on cops because that's the one of the things that gets in the way is these unions and they have no right to exist as I discussed earlier. And so <clears throat> get rid of them. Outlaw police unions. Outlaw, actually, honestly, if they want to do it, they could just outlaw all government unions. <laughs> so that would be nice personally. But I think that that would be a great step in being able to get towards the individual because when you don't have to fight this giant bureaucracy, I mean, we know how it is in private and not private, but in, uh, in regular, in other businesses, you know, in factories and things like that, we know that these get in the way, but when it comes to the cops, it just kind of is a wall that doesn't let you penetrate to get at the individual who's bringing down the whole institution. Listen to the concerns of black people and don't come back with statistics against experiences. Like I said earlier, it's just talking past them. Hear them and talk to them and put forward your thoughts and your experiences. And I think that if you have a conversation on that level, you know, that's why art is so rich as it is a subjective experience that's being portrayed and making it able for you to relate to them. You know, relate to them on the individual level. <clears throat> and I think that there's a lot there, and I hope that we can move past some of the PC talking points on this and actually talk to people, really, without obfuscating through weird terms and all this language that they want to bring into the these conversations that changes the meaning of things or makes it, you know, obfuscates the meaning of things. <clears throat> and then... Explore sources other than race for some of the conflicts. Like I said, unjust laws. Focusing on nonviolent lawbreakers is a problem. Poor training is a problem in general. And we can definitely make a lot of progress there as well. I think that there are race conversations to be had. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that that's not the sole cause. There are others as well. And I think we need to explore all of those reasons. And find solutions for a number of different problems that are happening here. And lastly, look for common ground and start there. This is something that I think anyone can hop on board and say that a cop that has a man restrained and kills him just deserves to enter into the justice system, be stripped of all of his, and everyone who stood by and did that. I don't know how complicit, I don't know what the charges are. I don't know the legality of it all. I don't know exactly what that would be in uh, 
private, you know, if it was a private person sitting by while someone killed someone like that. But I think that they need to be held culpable in some way. <laughs> Obviously, they didn't stop it. And so <clears throat> I think we need to look at that and say, how would a normal citizen be charged in this case? And obviously, strip them of everything cop-related and then charge them as a normal citizen. And I think that that's a common ground that we can start with that I don't know who would disagree with that. And so hopefully we can start there and get moving. So thank you for listening to this episode of The Conversation of Our Generation. Hopefully this sparks some ideas. Hopefully this sparks some conversation. And if you're enjoying what I'm talking about with my allergies going and the frog in my throat. <laughs> if you're enjoying what I'm talking about, go to conversationforgeneration.com to find out more about what I'm doing. Look at the guest blogs. If you want to contact me there to add your thoughts in on some of these conversations, you can as well. We have a we just posted a guest blog yesterday from our warpath. It's an interesting one on how uh, too many different places to get your information is causing confusion in the conversation. And so I really like that. Definitely go check that out. Go to conversationforgeneration.com slash podcast while you're there to find where you can find me on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Play. Go to Twitter at Conobargen, facebook.com slash conversationforgeneration. Like and follow there to keep up with the conversation as well. And thank you again for listening to this episode of Conversation for Our Generation. Let's get the dialogue going. I'll talk to you next time.